Section 25 of Woman in the Nineteenth Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. Woman in the Nineteenth Century and Kindred Papers Relating to the Sphere, Condition, and Duties of Women. Section 25 on books of travel review of memoirs and essays by mrs jameson on books of travel footnote it need not be said probably that margaret fuller did not think the fact that books of travel by women have generally been piquant and lively rather than discriminating and instructive a result of their nature and therefore unavoidable on the contrary, she regarded woman as naturally more penetrating than man, and the fact that in journeying she would see more of home life than he would give her a great advantage. But she did believe woman needed a wider culture, and then she would not fail to excel in writing books of travels. The merits now in such works she considered striking and due to woman's natural quickness in availing herself of all her facilities and any deficiencies simply proved the need of a broader education. Editor. End footnote. Among those we have, the best, as to observation of particulars and lively expression, are by women. They are generally ill-prepared as regards previous culture, and their scope is necessarily narrower than that of men, but their tact and quickness help them a great deal. You can see their minds grow by what they feed on when they travel. There are many books of travel by women that are at least entertaining and contain some penetrating and just observations. There has, however, been none since Lady Mary Wortley Montague, with as much talent, liveliness, and preparation to observe in various ways as she had. A good article appeared lately in one of the English periodicals headed by a long list of travels by women. It was easy to observe that the personality of the writer was the most obvious thing in each and all of these books, and that even in the best of them you travelled with the writer as a charming or amusing companion, rather than as an accomplished or instructed guide. Review of Memoirs and Essays by Mrs. Jameson Mrs. Jameson appears to be growing more and more desperately modest, if we may judge from the motto, What if the little rain should say, so small a drop as I, can ne'er refresh the thirsty plain, I'll tarry in the sky, and other superstitious doubts and disclaimers proffered in the course of the volume. We thought the time had gone by when it was necessary to plead request of friends for printing, and that it was understood, nowadays, that from the facility of getting thoughts into print, literature has become not merely an archive for the preservation of great thoughts, but a means of general communication between all classes of minds and all grades of culture. If writers write much that is good, and write it well, they are read much and long. If the reverse, people simply pass them by, and go in search of what is more interesting. There needs be no great fuss about publishing or not publishing. Those who forbear may rather be considered the vain ones who wish to be distinguished among the crowd, 
especially this extreme modesty looks superfluous in a person who knows her thoughts have been received with interest for ten or twelve years back we do not like this from mrs jameson because we think she would be amazed if others spoke of her as this little humble flower doubtful whether it ought to raise its head to the light she should leave such affectations to her aunts they were the fashion in their day it is very true however that she should not have published the very first paragraph in her book which presents an inaccuracy and shallowness of thought quite amazing in a person of her fine perceptions talent and culture we allude to the contrast she attempts to establish between raphael and titian in placing mind in contradistinction to beauty as if beauty were merely physical of course she means no such thing but the passage means this or nothing and as an opening to a paper on art it is indeed reprehensible and fallacious the rest of this paper called the house of titian is full of pleasant chat though some of the judgments that passed on canaletti's pictures for instance are opposed to those of persons of the purest taste and in other respects such as in speaking of the railroad to venice mrs jameson is much less wise than those over whom she assumes superiority the railroad will destroy venice the two things cannot coexist and those who do not look upon that wondrous dream in this age will probably find only vestiges of its existence the picture of adelaide kemble is very pretty though there is an attempt of a sort too common with mrs jameson to make more of the subject than it deserves adelaide kemble was not the true artist or she could not so soon or so lightly have stepped into another sphere it is enough to paint her as a lovely woman and a woman genius the true artist cannot forswear his vocation heaven does not permit it the attempt makes him too unhappy nor will he form ties with those who can consent to such sacrilege adelaide kemble loved art but was not truly an artist the xanthian marbles and washington alston are very pleasing papers the most interesting part however are the sentences copied from mr alston these have his chaste superior tone we copy some of them what light is in the natural world such is fame in the intellectual both requiring an atmosphere in order to become perceptible hence the fame of michael angelo is to some minds a non-entity even as the sun itself would be invisible in vacuo a very pregnant statement containing the true reason why no man is a hero to his valet de chambre fame does not depend on the will of any man but reputation may be given and taken away for fame is the sympathy of kindred intellects and sympathy is not a subject of willing while reputation having its source in the popular voice is a sentence which may be altered or suppressed at pleasure reputation being essentially contemporaneous is always at the mercy of the envious and ignorant but fame whose very birth is posthumous and which is only known to exist by the echoes of its footsteps through congenial minds can neither be increased nor diminished by any degree of willfulness an original mind is rarely understood until it has been reflected from some half dozen congenial with it 
so averse are men to admitting the true in an unusual form while any novelty however fantastic however false is greedily swallowed nor is this to be wondered at for all truth demands a response and few people care to think yet they must have something to supply the place of thought every mind would appear original if every man had the power of projecting his own into the minds of others all effort at originality must end either in the quaint or monstrous for no man knows himself as an original he can only believe it on the report of others to whom he is made known as he is by the projecting power before spoken of there is an essential meanness in wishing to get the better of any one the only competition worthy of a wise man is with himself reverence is an ennobling sentiment it is felt to be degrading only by the vulgar mind which would escape the sense of its own littleness by elevating itself into the antagonist of what is above it he that has no pleasure in looking up is not fit to look down of such minds are the mannerists in art and in the world the tyrants of all sorts make no man your idol for the best man must have faults and his faults will naturally become yours in addition to your own this is as true in art as in morals the devil's heartiest laugh is at a detracting witticism hence the phrase devilish good has sometimes a literal meaning woman's mission and woman's position is an excellent paper in which plain truths are spoken with an honorable straightforwardness and a great deal of good feeling we despise the woman who knowing such facts is afraid to speak of them yet we honor one too who does the plain right thing for she exposes herself to the assaults of vulgarity in a way painful to a person who has not strength to find shelter and repose in her motives we recommend this paper to the consideration of all those the unthinking willfully unseeing million who are in the habit of talking of woman's sphere as if it really were at present for the majority one of protection and the gentle offices of home the rhetorical gentlemen and silken dames who quite forgetting their washerwomen their seamstresses and the poor hirelings for the sensual pleasures of man that jostle them daily in the streets talk as if women need be fitted for no other chance than that of growing like cherished flowers in the garden of domestic love are requested to look at this paper in which the state of women both in the manufacturing and agricultural districts of england is exposed with eloquence and just inferences drawn this then is what i mean when i speak of the anomalous condition of women in these days i would point out as a primary source of incalculable mischief the contradiction between her assumed and her real position between what is called her proper sphere by the laws of god and nature and what has become her real sphere by the laws of necessity and through the complex relations of artificial existence in the strong language of carlyle i would say that here is a lie standing up in the midst of society i would say down with it even to the ground for while this perplexing and barbarous anomaly exists 
fretting like an ulcer at the very heart of society all new specifics and palliatives are in vain the question must be settled one way or another either let the man and all the relations of life be held the natural guardian of the woman constrained to fulfil that trust responsible in society for her well-being and her maintenance or if she be liable to be thrust from the sanctuary of home to provide for herself through the exercise of such faculties as god has given her let her at least have fair play let it not be avowed in the same breath that protection is necessary to her and that it is refused her and while we send her forth into the desert and bind the burthen on her back and put the staff in her hand let not her steps be beset her limbs fettered and her eyes blindfolded amen the sixth and last of these papers on the relative social position of mothers and governesses exhibits in true and full colors a state of things in england beside which the custom in some parts of china of drowning female infants looks mild generous and refined and a cursed state of things beneath whose influence nothing can and nothing ought to thrive though this paper of which we have not patience to speak further at this moment is valuable from putting the facts into due relief it is very inferior to the other and shows the want of thoroughness and depth in mrs jameson's intellect she has taste feeling and knowledge but she cannot think out a subject thoroughly and is unconsciously tainted and hampered by conventionalities her advice to the governesses reads like a piece of irony but we believe it was not meant as such advise them to be burnt at the stake at once rather than submit to this slow process of petrifaction she is as bad as the reports of the society for the relief of distressed and dilapidated governesses we have no more patience we must go to england ourselves and see these victims under the water torture till then adieu end of section twenty five recording by pamela Krantz.